Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Have your Bibles this morning. I'm going to be uh, <clears throat> preaching or calling your attention to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 in just a moment. I started a series last week called Intensives. An intensive, kind of in a corporate setting, is information concentrated on a single area or subject in a short amount of time. The term short is relative. I just want you to know that. There's a lot of information given to you, so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to talk about money this morning. Last week, we talked about parenthood. If you've got a kid that's living at home, you need to go back, make sure you listen to that message. One thing that I said is that we live, you know, in a time of kind of the greatest immorality and cultural influence ever. And you cannot parent like you did 20 years ago. You cannot parent. If you've got a high school, a kid that's in high school, the world has changed from when you were in high school. We've got to be more in tune. We've got to be greater, you know, involved in the discipleship. You know, you just can't leave it to the church. So, Go back and listen to that message. wanted to mention that to you this morning. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out. Do you know that? Pile it up, pile it up. When it's all over, it stays here. It stays here. We're living a life as though, you know, like the Egyptians, when they were buried, that you could take everything with you, and that's not the case. When it's over and done, it all stays here, and it may go to family members that you don't even like. All right? That was just free. That was just free. I just felt that. No, I didn't. All right. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. But people who want to get rich, not people who are rich. They got their own scriptures, okay? People who want to get rich, so it is the accumulation or the, you know, the the working on wealth. Look at this. Fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men, I'm going to change this too, and women, all right, into ruin and destruction. This passage is for this world and this society today. But it's funny to me because he gives this great scripture in the midst of a time when people were poor, there were no credit cards or loans. All you could do was barter salt, eggs, produce, and he's still speaking you know, that truth into that custom and culture, but boy, does it fit today. Look at what else he says. Verse 10. For the love of money, not the acquisition of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, two things. Look at this. They've wandered from the faith because of money. They've wandered from the faith. 
because of the pursuit of money, or they've pierced themselves with many griefs, okay? So two kind of results that we're going to kind of look at this morning uh, concerning this passage. So money is not just about financial problems. Money problems, in reality, most of the time are rooted in spiritual problems, rooted with things down in our heart. So this topic is not just about taking a Dave Ramsey class and being more proficient when it comes to spending. This is the Bible opening the hood and going, there are many money issues that are a result of the heart and people, people not, not committing certain parts of their heart to the Lord. So money is neither good or bad, but money reveals what is in our hearts because it empowers us to, to walk out some of the dark parts of our heart. So, so I want to talk about money. The Bible talks about money, the warnings, the blessings, and I want to talk about that this morning. Now, my first thing, before I get back to 1 Timothy 6, my first thing that I want to say, and I want to just for a moment, is I want to talk to young adults about money, okay? High school, college age, right out of college, I want to talk to you about money, okay? Just, just for a moment. I love you. I just want to have a little chat, okay? And it's amazing that our study tonight in Jesus, our generation, is about money, okay? <clears throat> so we'll follow up. So I have a word for you this morning. Are you ready? All right? Here you go. Don't make stupid decisions now about money and your future, okay? That's it. That's my word for you this morning, all right? Hebrews. Don't be obsessed with getting material things. Be relaxed in what you have. Don't be obsessed about getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. So I wanted to say, young adults, let's just go 29 and under. There are worse things in the world than being poor at this stage of your life. All right? Now, we're got a room full of people, 18 to 26. How many would you go when I was 18 to 26? I was broke. Raise your hand. All right. Everybody's broke. All right. So you look at your life and go, I'm broke. I don't have any money, you know, and I'm just going. It's okay. It's just part of the stage of life at this point. You're, you're, you, you know, you're, I'm going to go hungry. I'm going to be homeless. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. I want you, even as a young adult, to be conscious now about your long-term financial future, okay? Because you can make poor decisions now that affect you in later life a lot longer than they should have, okay? Just, just because we're not paying attention <clears throat> we're not paying attention excuse me, to certain things right now. So it's always going to impact you because you go through a season that you're not making a lot of money. It takes a little time to recoup, recoup from that. But when you make poor decisions, it takes much longer, you know, to get out of those. And then, you know, like once you get out of school and you start working, you want to get married, you want to buy a car, but you got all kinds of crazy expenditures that you have that delay that a lot longer than it should. So I would say, 
watch your college debt. Watch your college debt. Now, what they can do with loans now is that you can pay for, you, you know, a lot more than tuition and books and room and board. Like, they give you money, you spend it on whatever you want, okay? I talked to a guy. He took his loan and bought a car. He bought a car. He financed a car. He's going to be paying for that for 20 years, okay? All right? So, so, so just, just watch what you are accumulating right now because what you get for college, man, it can bury you. I'm still paying for grad school. Can I tell you that? I'm still paying for that, all right? We have that in common. So just, just watch all of these offers that come to you while you're in college and also um, credit cards, okay? Credit cards. Now listen, you're walking down campus and there's a table set up that says free T-shirt, okay? Now let me just say this, all right? To the average college student, young adult, the thing that you have the most in your wardrobe is T-shirts, okay? You, you have more T-shirts than anyone. Really? Do you really need another T-shirt, all right? Do you really want to walk around with one that says Bank of America on it, okay? All right, so let me tell you, when you see that, you just start to run. You get Satan behind you, and you take off. Call the church if you, if you need help, all right? You don't, you don't need those high-interest cards, and I'm going to talk about that a little later in the, in the message. Don't quickly try to achieve a standard of living that has taken others years to attain. When you get out of college, man, we, all right, we're done. I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I want to try to achieve the standard of living that my parents have, but they've got a 25-year head start on you as well. So be patient when you, when you start in the working world. You know, I, I told everybody is, is broke. Being poor at this stage is okay. Secondhand furniture is okay. Yard sales are okay. Used cars with mileage are okay. Buying things off Facebook Marketplace might be, is okay as well. And the older people, that's a good place to say amen. All right? It's okay. Just start slow. Don't start slow. Don't try in five years to jump where other people that have been working decades ahead of you are in their standard of living. Okay? So just, just be patient. It's going to come. And then also, I just want to say, too, if you're a little short on cash, see Spencer right here. Spencer's loaded. You know? He's going to act like, yeah, that's him in the blue shirt. He's going to act like he doesn't have it, but he's got it. He's got it. He'll loan you a little bit. Okay. All right. All right, so things to remember, just wanted to say that to, to young adults. Just, just keep your eyes long-term. Things to remember about money. Tithe to the Lord. Tithe to the Lord. Now, you may be new here, and, and I just want to, you may, or you may be new to the church, and you may be uncomfortable with about the connection of money in the church, and this may be your first time, and you're going, wow, he's talking about giving on my very first Sunday. I want to say this to you if you're new, you know, like you can go here forever and never give a dime. We do not exist for money. We do not exist for your giving, okay? If you've been going here a while and you don't give, that's fine. Nobody, you'll never get a call. Nobody's going to say anything to you ever because we're not, we're not here for that. So I just want to say that up front. But we do think that the Bible teaches about 
giving, warnings, blessings, those kind of things. And I want to just take a moment and talk about that. But if this makes you uncomfortable, you never are obligated to give a dime. I just want to say that up front. But when we talk about giving to the Lord, it's interesting to me because there's a connection to me between worship and giving. There's a connection between worship and giving. If someone has ever done something for you that is unbelievable, okay, you always want to go back and say thanks, okay, and, you know, or try to, try to you know, do something for them. People in the Bible who experienced God's grace, they've never always been compelled to give, but they've always given, and it starts early, we see Abram, I mean, excuse me, we see Abel, who, who without compulsion, there was no church, there was no law, no one told him to, just out of his heart, very early in the book of Genesis, he brought an offering to the Lord. Abram, before he was Abraham, took a tenth of everything that he owned, and he brought it to the priest. No one told him to, but there was just something, because when you experience the goodness of the Lord, there is a connection between that grace and worship where you want to where you want to give, where you want to give to the Lord. In the times of Moses, people started bringing to the tabernacle their, their livestock, their produce. They, they wanted to just, just give to the Lord out of the goodness of their heart. Nobody really compelled them. It was just Something that they did because they loved the Lord. Now, let me say today, we don't take livestock or produce here at the church, okay? <clears throat> if you bring a couple of goats and a bag of potatoes by tomorrow, I'll let Sarah and John figure out, you know, what to do. But, but it, was just in their, it was just in their heart. The wise men came to see the baby Jesus. They're from an Arab country. They had no idea about laws or teachings about giving, but they just brought it. There was just something in their heart that they wanted to do because that's what worship and tithe is. It's not a compulsion. It's, a, it's an offering. It's something that you want to do. Jesus watched the widow give one day, the widow that had nothing. There was no compulsion on her life, but there was this connection just between God's been good to me and in my worship. Here's, here's a way, here's one way that I give, I give to the Lord. There was no preacher, there's no sermon, it just came out of their heart. So when I give, I give out of a worshipful, a worshipful and grateful heart. Second Corinthians says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, okay? I don't want you to feel guilty. I rarely talk about this. The, I, I do a one-minute video just to remind people about giving, but we, you know, we it said you shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion, and I don't want you ever to feel that way, but then it says, for God loves a cheerful giver, okay? He loves a cheerful giver, and I just go like, and I can only speak for me when I look at all that God's done in my life over the course of my life. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, okay? And I, so my, my offerings and my tithes just come because I love the Lord and I want to give back to him because he's been, he's been good to me, okay? I also believe in our church, its mission, and its ministries, too. I want to I wanna help that. But I want to say, and if that's you, this is my church. I, 
I believe in what it does, and I want to be, be part of that. And if you're giving out of responsibility, I want to say thank you. But also, I want you to give with a heart of worship. This is not an offering to the church, but worship to God. You hear it? All right? It's worship to God. And I want to say, too, if you give online, 65% of our income comes online. Okay? I don't want you to miss the worship moment if you give online. Okay? I don't want this to be another transaction when you're just paying your online bills. When you do that, I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to give thanks to God, okay? We kind of do that. It's a little easier to do it in the, in the church, but I just want to say that to you as well. When I give, I give and I trust the Lord for His provision. When I give, I give and I trust the Lord for His provision because tithing and giving is an act of faith, all right, so who's got 10% to spare, all right? So when you give your tithe, it puts you in a place of having to trust the Lord. If you've ever felt the tension sometimes between bills and tithing, anybody ever been there, all right? It puts you in a place where you have to, where you have to trust God, okay? That's what Tithing is an act of faith. I give, and I'm trusting the Lord for his provision. But I want to say it, and it's not original with me, you know. God can do more with the 90% than you ha- that you have, okay, than the 100% that you would hold, okay. I, I believe that. I believe that. And, and I, I just, I've seen God just do some amazing things, you know, in my own life. And I know some of you can say that as well. And it's been a pattern with me since I was 17 years old, okay? I tithed before I got in the ministry. I tithed before I, you know, preached my first sermon. I was 17 years old. I had a job. I made $30. It was a paper route. Some of you don't even know what that is, Okay. But there used to be these things called paper newspapers, and they would pay people to go and throw them in the yard. That's what I did. And I made $30. And the first week that I got saved, I took my $3 in a million-dollar building, and I put it in the offering, okay? Because that God had been good to me. I was a new believer, and I started, and I started very young. And I want to say that to young adults. Start when you're young. Start with your young, God, you know, with what God gives you, you know, uh, when it's small, because you never know what God's going to place in your hand a little bit later. So just be, just be faithful. When I give, God can bless and prosper financially, okay? He can do that, okay? Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of your crops and your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. Give, Jesus said, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be poured into your lap? For with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. Okay, I'm not going to unpack that. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. 2 Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So I I said God can bless and prosper you financially when you are faithful to him. Now listen, God will honor your faithfulness, but you can never buy his blessings. 
He owns it all. So you can't bribe him with a big offering, you know, that, to, to get something that you need. All right? So this is just, this is just being faithful. And I want to say, too, there are people in this room who believe in what I'm saying, and if we never made an announcement, never, you know, ne- never had a video announcement, never mentioned it from the pulpit, they would give regularly because they've seen God's handwork in their life, but it's also a form of worship as well, okay? If it was never mentioned, there are people that could stand today right here and go, God has blessed me financially because of my giving, okay? I just... We, we, got a, we got a church full of those. So I, I want to say, too, faithfulness in our giving does not mean that you won't ever experience financial adversity. Okay? All right? Is that up there? Some of you need to take a picture of that. Put it in your iCloud. Put it on the front. Listen to me. Because tithing is not a heavenly insurance policy against, you know, ups and downs of life. Okay? Christians who are faithful in their tithes lose jobs, have businesses that fail, go through financial adversity, all right? I didn't think I'd get an amen on that, but I'm just telling you the truth, all right? Some think it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But I want to tell you, God is faithful. And when you look over the course of your life, I promise you, I I, I can just say to you, I believe you'll see the hand of the Lord. I think you will look back and you'll go, God is faithful, okay? So it doesn't mean you won't go, you won't go through this. Some of you don't know, when we first moved here, we celebrated 10 years last year. Thank you so much. You guys were so generous uh, to us. But when we came, you know, I couldn't sell my house in Kentucky for four years. I had a mortgage in Kentucky, and I had, had to rent a house here. And listen, there were times that I did not know how I would make it financially, Okay, I just didn't know. My kids were at NFC. I mean, I was just, I, my, my one hang-up was just financial pressure. And it, it just aided me, especially the last two years when savings go and all of those kind of things. All right? I don't have time to tell you the whole story this morning. But you know what? We just stayed faithful in our giving. And we've just seen, I don't have time to tell you everything. I know you wish that I would, but... Uh, I'm just telling you, okay, you go through adversity, just be faithful. God's going to balance it out at the end. There'll be a time at the end that you'll go, God's faithful. Amen? 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 Amen. Amen. So, if, if you haven't given, you never tithe, I just encourage you, try it for three months. Just try it as a form of worship. It's not a bill you pay. Got it? Electric, mortgage, car, church, God. It's not a bill you pay. It's part of the worship experience. So I just say, try it for three months and just see. And then after that, you don't want to. You, you don't have to. Nobody's ever going to call you. You know, so just want to say that, all right? Remember, things to remember about money. Tithe and tithe to the Lord. Be generous to others. Be generous to others. Really? You just said 10%. Now i got to be generous on top of that. Listen, the gospel calls believers to action on behalf of the poor, the homeless, the widow, the orphan, and the broken. The gospel calls us 
to that, okay? All right? And, and we realize that caring and watching for people, you know, in a misfortunate situation is just a natural overflow of what God's done in my life. When I, when I come to grace and I come to faith, I can't be blind anymore to, to, to those things and I can't be deaf to the cries of the broken anymore. Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan. He walked past a man that Scripture says was half dead. He is bleeding and he's unconscious. But there was something in his heart that could not, he couldn't pass by. And he was generous. He gave his transportation. He gave pharmaceutical supplies. He had oil. He, he spent money. He was generous. Because I want to say, the gospel calls believers to action on behalf of the poor, okay? On behalf of the poor. Now, now, do we get frustrated sometimes with the poor and their bad decisions? We, we think that sometimes. Everybody we pass, you know, we get a little frustrated. Maybe, maybe it is, you know, maybe they have made bad decisions, you know? Proverbs 21 says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out at some point and not be answered, okay? So we don't shut our ears to the eyes of the poor. So we can always go, man, that's just bad choices. Bad choices, they shouldn't have done that. They're there because of their own decisions. And I go, maybe that's true in some, but that's not true in all. We deal a good bit with that. George and Doris, Street Hope, where our church is positioned here. There are many out there that have just had tough situations. They've been in the uh, uh, foster care system and they've aged out. They've had no place to go and they're homeless. They're veterans who served and once they're done with their military service, they, you know, they, they didn't, you know, had, had no place to go. Some of them are mentally ill, which is the most sad thing that you will ever see. Some are just eccentric in their personalities. They're not mentally ill. They're just eccentric, and they don't have normal social behaviors where they could have a job or normal relationships. There are people out there that are addicts, and, you know, we can go, well, they shouldn't do that, okay? How do we ever reach them? How do we ever reach them? Do we just go, well, you should have known better? Or maybe there's a heart of generosity that a food card or a, some cash can help. So we don't want to make sh- we want to don't want our standard of living for hel- our standard for helping someone be so high that we can't help anyone. Okay. Well, I don't want to give them. And they go buy vodka. Well, I don't either. Okay. But I promise you, if you help ten people, eight of them are going to need it, and there may be two that take advantage of it. And you know what? If there are two that take advantage of it. Before God, it's just like all 10 of them needed it. So I have a low threshold. I try to help what I can. And if I'm, if that's, if I'm taking advantage of, God will still reward me. God will still reward me, okay? I was coming to the office just a couple of months ago. A guy had a sign, because they do that in Tallahassee. I don't know if you do that. I don't know if you know that when you get off the interstate. He had a sign, I would love a smile and a cold beer. 
I gave him the best smile he's ever had. I mean, I'm not going to enable him, but if I have to try to make a value judgment every time, I won't help anyone. So I've just decided I'm going to be generous. And if someone takes advantage of that, then the Lord will, will, the Lord will honor me. James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but no deeds? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? All right? 1 John three seventeen. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person, okay? So he calls us, the gospel calls us to be generous to those that are broken. So I get this question from time to time about generosity. Is it wrong for Christians to have money? Is it, is it wrong to have wealth? Shouldn't we sell everything and just, and just give to the poor? And I go, no. God does not command believers to stop making money or have wealth but to use the money for good, to use the wealth for good. First, First Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God, which provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. Okay? So he says, if you've got a few dollars, you know, then, then be generous in good deeds. Be willing to share. And I just go, I, I look at our church and what happens with missions, okay? I just see sacrificial giving. Over 80 people give to missions on a monthly basis. And I mean, we're, we're literally touching the world locally and globally. 143 missions and missionaries on a on a monthly basis, but that just comes from the generosity of people that have a few extra dollars and believing in what, in what happens and, and is giving. So, so be generous. We tithe. We're generous. Like, but that'd be way over 10%. Let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. Just, just be generous. Just watch. You just, I'm just telling you, you won't ever regret it. You won't, you won't ever regret it, okay? They'll God always balances the scales. I have found that. God always balances the scales. The last part. I want to give some warnings from the Bible about money. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Okay? The desire for money can cause issues with covetousness, greed, envy, dishonesty, jealousy, and being ungrateful, okay? So these are, these are issues of the heart, but they work themselves financially in how we live our life. The desire for money can cause issues with covetousness, greed, envy, dishonesty, jealousy, and being ungrateful. Exodus 20, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So covetousness is the desire for something that you can't get your hand on now, something that you can't afford, you know, what you can't, can't purchase at the moment, all right? But also, 
when I'm looking around at what everyone has that I don't have, it also makes me ungrateful for where I'm at now. We sang gratitude at the end. We don't have gratitude when all of our eyes are fixed on the other things that people have, so it's hard to be thankful and appreciative of what you have right now when there's covetousness in your heart and you're wanting everything that everyone else has that you can't afford, okay? So covetousness, <coughs> if we're not careful, can drive us into debt, all right? It's, it's a spiritual thing that affects us financially, all right? Socially, they call it impulse buying. Oh, we're about to have revival in here. I just want you to know that, okay? 54% of people impulse buy, and when they do, they spend more than $100. Things that they hadn't planned, okay? And when they do, they spend more than $100. This is from Dr. Klontz from the University of Creighton, all right? Women impulse buy more than men. But men spend more money when they impulse buy. I told you we're having a revival this morning. It's just breaking out mostly over here. So, uh, all right, listen to this. 79% of impulse purchases that are just driven. It's not something that you need. It's impulse, something I, I want. 79% of that, of the purchases are in store. Okay. 6% of impulse buys are made on a tablet or smartphone. Now, why? Okay? Because when you buy online, it takes three or four days to get to your house. And we can't be satisfied with that. When we're walking through the mall, you know, or the store, we can grab it and get that satisfaction from it. Okay? So, it's an odd an odd thing that people don't impulse buy, you know, online. Now, what we've got to watch is the Amazon drone that can drop things in our front yard the day that we order them. If you see that drone, shoot it out of the air. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right? All right? So they asked people, what was the purchase you most regret in your life? And why? What is the purchase you most regret in your life and why? The first one was a marriage license, okay? That's a whole different story. I'm going to talk about that later, okay? What was the purchase you most regret in life and why? The next one, $100 tanning lotion. Yeah, that's something that lasts a long time, won't it? That's a good investment. Designer purse. $300 pair of shoes. These men in their shoes, what will we do? A boat. These women in their boats, what will we do? A timeshare. All right? I want to tell you, listen to me. A lot of times we're buying things, but it's covetousness in our heart. Have you ever bought something and once you've got it, it just wasn't right, didn't feel right, you didn't wear it when you got home, you took, it, you took it back, you had to have it in the moment, you got it home, and for whatever reason, it just didn't satisfy. Covetousness, 
about greed. Greed. Purchases, financial expenditures by greed. Ecclesiastes 5 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. That just doesn't make sense, but it's so true. Because even at our level of finance, right, whatever we have, we're always looking for something else, right? Always, we're just never, we never go, all right, I have everything that I want. Because greed says no. And then he says, but it's meaningless. I'll talk about that in just a moment. So let's look at greed, the impact of greed on our spending, okay? Greed, it, it, it empowers us to be dishonest when it comes to finances. Theft. We have an issue with shoplifting today. Have you seen it on the news? Stores closing down. I mean, you know, just billions of dollars because people, because of greed, they steal. Okay, retail, you know, retail sales. I mean, and you've seen it on the news, the, the smash and grab. They just go in and grab things and, and, and come back out. All right? Greed is empowering theft and shoplifting. How about embezzlement? We don't want to leave out the white-collar people in this as well who cook the books, they steal money, they abuse credit cards from their businesses because of greed. Because of greed. They, they're not satisfied with what they've got. They've just got to have a little more so they, they embezzle money from their companies. How about gambling? How about gambling? Okay. Greed. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to embezzle. I'm not going to embezzle. That's wrong. I am not, I'm not going to shoplift. That's wrong. But I do think, I know in my heart, the Packers are going to win this weekend. I just feel it. I just know the Seminoles are going to come up victorious. I feel like God's just laid that on my heart. And also, if God blesses me, I'm going to tithe. All right? Out of greed, people start gambling. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you're gambling, when you're gambling, you're taking a huge risk. Not just something that you can get in the future, but you can lose what you have now because of it. I saw a man go to jail because of gambling. And he was embezzling from his company because of greed. He lost everything he's had and his family because of greed, all right? So greed drives purchases and possessions, cars, clothes, houses, electronics. And I want to say, too, credit and credit card, credit and credit cards can empower you to act on greed, Okay? Oh, you just wait. Revival's going to wait. It's going to break out. It may happen on this side this time. Credit and credit cards can empower you to act on greed. The average American household has $5,700 in credit card debt. 40% of all households carry some form of credit card debt. And the households with the lowest net worth have an average of $10,000 on their credit card. 
Now, I get sometimes I have no other way to pay the power bill. I, I mean, I, I get it. But sometimes it's greed. We're making purchases and credit and loans. They are empowering us to purchase. My debt today takes my dream for tomorrow. All right? I am shortchanging myself today when I, when I make poor decisions. I'm shortchanging myself today. And if there's a door that opens in the future, sometimes I'm shackled because I, I can't take it because of my debt. All right? My debt today takes my God opportunity tomorrow. There are things I want to do for God, but I can't because I'm a slave to my debt. Do you remember what 1 Timothy said? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith or they've pierced themselves with many, many griefs. We are trying to live lifestyles that we cannot support. All right? We're working extra jobs for things. All right? Hours and hours away from home for things. And I want to say this to you. Listen to me. Listen to me. God is not obligated to cover my reckless financial mismanagement. Not one amen in the whole place. Because some people think if I tithe, then God will be there with me, and I'm telling you, probably he won't, all right? You can be a faithful giver to the Lord and work yourself into a financial mess, okay? So he's not obligated to bail you out. Now, he can do what he wants to do. He's God, and we're going to pray for that at the end. But I'm just telling you, if you think, if I tithe and give, then how I spend is irrelevant to that because God will always help me. I'm going to go, you know what? You're probably going to learn a hard lesson about faith when you hear from the bank and the sheriff's office, okay? All right? All right. Worship team, you can come. Money can drive you from God, and it can keep you from God as well. The Bible says... Matthew 19, it was a young man that came to Jesus, and he was rich. He was rich. And he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, come on. But before you do, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And Matthew 19 says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Who won in the end? Who won in the end when he died with all of his wealth, but he missed the opportunity to walk and live with Jesus? He missed the opportunity maybe at some point to have his name listed with the disciples. Why? Because of money. Because of money. You know, it owns you. You don't own it. It owns you. And there are people who are, you know, Away from God because of money and its pursuits. Solomon, world's wealthiest man at this time, had an annual income of $25 million a year and a palace that took 13 years to build. Okay? Unbelievably wealthy. Here's what he said about his wealth. Okay? I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself 
planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem. He's just, he's not the wisest man in the world. I want to say that. As well as the delights of a man's heart. He's telling you about himself. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused no, I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward of my toll. Okay? All of that's the reward of his toll. And here's how he concludes this. But yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. All right? He's go- I got it all. But it's just meaningless. It's just there's no purpose with it. There's no joy. And I want to tell you, And you'll find that at the end of your pursuit. That all your bank accounts and your 401k and the things that you own will not substitute for the the hole that's in your heart that can only be filled by God. So work all you want to work. Amass all that you want to work. You know, all that you can do. Let your bank accounts be impressive to everyone. And at the end of the day, there'll still be a void in your heart when without God. Without God. So, Jesus said, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What good is it? What good is it? If you got everything, but man, there's, there's a part of your life. So, I want to remind you about the emptiness of money. We chase after it, and then when we get it, there's still not satisfaction there. There's still not happiness. All right? But wealth doesn't have to keep us from God. Because we see at the the end of Jesus' life, there was a very wealthy man. His name was Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea. He had money. He had position. And he had started following Jesus at some point in his life. But he wasn't real public about it. But then at the crucifixion of Jesus, something happened in this wealthy man's life. He didn't care anymore about money, wealth, and privilege. He was one of the Sanhedrin, probably trying to kind of, you know, be a secret follower of Jesus. But there was some point when he said, you know, I don't care. And as Jesus' bloody body laid upon the cross, this wealthy man climbed up on the cross, helped with that bloody body, get it off the cross. He went to Pilate. Excuse me. He went to Pilate first. He said, I want the body of Jesus. He didn't care anymore. He didn't care. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of wealth. I don't care. He said, okay, go. And gets that bloody body off the cross. Blood all over him. He carries him. He buys. He spends $1,000 or more on spices. And he's cleaning. This rich man is cleaning the body of Jesus. He's anointing him. 
Because there's a point where your money doesn't matter anymore. That there's just something down in your heart that your 401k can never fulfill. He's cleaning him up. He's putting those spices on his life, on, on the body of Jesus. Where are we going to take him? You know what? He can have mine. He can have my tomb. The one that's hewn out of the rock. If you've been to Jerusalem, been to the garden tomb, it's probably the, the property of Joseph of Arimathea. Took that, took that tomb. I want to tell you something. Money can take you from God. It can keep you from God. Money can cause all kinds of complications in your life as a believer. But I want to tell you too, it doesn't have to. If you've got wealth, if you've got wealth, if God's blessed you, so be it. But I want to tell you, you will never find true happiness and purpose and fulfillment in your life with money alone. You are created for more. You are created to know him. And if you want to find purpose and fulfillment in your life, that comes to bowing your knee to Jesus. And that rich young ruler couldn't do it because money and wealth was more important than God. Now, he doesn't always ask us to do that, all right? But that young man, it was all about, it was all about money. It was all about money. I want to just say to you this morning, and we're going to pray, because <coughs> I, I, I realize there are all kinds of different applications. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> all kinds of different applications that, that come from this. I mean, you may be unemployed. We're going to pray for you this morning. You may have great financial pressure. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for God's blessing, God's favor. We're going to pray for wisdom. We're going to pray for self-discipline as well, that you'll know the right things to say yes to and, and, and the wrong things to say no to. But you know what? You know what? Sometimes we're here and some of our financial issues are because we feel bad about ourselves. You know, we feel kind of undervalued. And if I buy those jeans, it'll make me feel better about myself. And if I buy that car, then, then maybe someone else will see value in me if I own things. And I want to tell you, that's not the love of God. He loves you right where you're at. He doesn't care if your jeans came from, I don't know, Kayla tells me all the stores she shops from. I can't. <coughs> or if you bought your jeans off Marketplace. He couldn't love you anymore, and he couldn't love you any less. Your value to him is not about where you live. Your value to God is not about the amount when you cash your check. It's not. Regardless of whether you're wealthy or not, he gave his son for you, and that shows your value. He gave the best thing that he had. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to come back and pray in just a moment. Brent, lead us just in a song of worship, and I'm, we're just going to do some prayer for this area in just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so I have seen of the goodness Sing it this morning. Sing it this morning. 
is, Lord, when they brought double the amount of fish, and God, I pray, I pray that they would see your hand. Lord, I pray, I pray. I pray for wisdom to make right financial choices. I pray for wisdom. I pray for self-discipline to guard against poor financial choices. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray. Now, I'm going to pause just for a moment. If there are some issues with your finances that have been caused by maybe some unwise decisions on your part, here's the moment that you kind of come back and go, all right, Lord, I own this. I own this, and I'm asking for your help. And, Lord, I'll, I, I, I need the help of the Lord, okay? So I'm just going to pause. If that's you, I want you to pray that prayer. Let's start with some repentance. God, help me. Help me to be wise. Help me to be strong. Help me when covetousness, impulse buying, greed are motivating my spending habits. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you've heard the prayers. And Lord, you don't want them under stress. Lord, and I, I pray that they're going to see your hand. They're going to see a pathway. They're going to see a pathway. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray for those that are unemployed this morning. They don't have a job. They're looking. Lord, their present job, they need something else. I pray. Lord, they're not asking, Lord, for a miracle. They're asking for an opportunity to work. And you bless that too. And I pray for those that are unemployed. And they're looking for the right place. I pray for those that need a job or some of them that don't even have on their mind another job, but something's going to come. Something's going to open. I pray that those doors will open. I pray those doors of employment are going to open so they can provide for their family. Lord, I pray today for those who are away from God because of the pursuit of money. That's what your word says. If that's you, you... That's been your goal, wealth, privilege. Here's your moment to go, Lord, I've let this drive me away from you. You're like the rich young ruler. But I'm going, you can be like Joseph of Arimathea, who has wealth but has a deep humility for the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray. I pray for those that are away from God because of the pursuit of money. Their wealth, they've worked too much. They've lost homes, families. They're paying the ultimate price for wealth. They've been motivated by greed. They've been motivated by covetousness. And God, I pray that you would touch that in our heart. Lord, they're going to be like Joseph. They're going to be people of wealth, but they're going to be people of deep humility to the Lord and service to Jesus. And God, you're going to use them greatly. You're going to use their generosity. You're going to use that. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I want to pray I'm going to pray for God's blessing financially over you. If you're on a business or whatever, in every way, I'm going to pray that. I want to pray that over you today. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. And God, I pray that you would bless the work of their hands. God, I pray that you would meet every need financially. Lord, you, and you know what that is. And Lord, as we've repented over things that are out of balance in the way that we live, God, I pray the hand of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord would be upon them. God, I pray that we would always hear the cry of the poor, Lord, and you will bless us for that. I, we know that when we give, Lord, you'll give back. And Lord, I pray the hand of blessing, 
upon this congregation. I pray, God, you're going to pour out financial blessing that's going to meet needs in their personal lives. But, Lord, you're going to empower this church in the area of missions to do more and go greater, do greater things. And I pray the blessing of the Lord to rest upon them. God, I pray. I pray over young adults today, Lord, who just who feel constant financial pressure. Lord, I just pray that you let them know that you've got them. You're watching over them. Government, the government guarantees, you're, you're watching over them are greater than government guarantees. I pray for every college student, every young adult, bless the work of their hands. Now across the building, across the building, I just want you to give God thanks for your material blessings. Would you do that? Would you just take a moment? Would you just take a moment? Would you just take a moment? Maybe the Lord is worked you out of a situation in the past. You just want to give thanks. Can we just take a moment? I'm going to be quiet, all right? Across the building, can we just give him thanks in your own way? Just give him thanks for his blessings. We don't want to be ungrateful. We don't want to be ungrateful. Covetous keeps me from appreciating what God's done right now. Across the building, would you just verbalize it? Just say thanks to the Lord. Just give him thanks. Lord, we praise you this morning. We praise you this morning, Lord. You've been good to us. You've been good to us in the midst of doing dumb things, Lord, sometimes with our money. Lord, you've blessed us, and we give you thanks. We give you thanks. We look back. We look back, and we just see your hand. We see your hand. The psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. I thank you, Lord. When we walk through hard times, you're with us. When we walk through times we don't understand, you're with us. But we just want to be grateful this morning. We want to be grateful this morning. Come on, let's sing this again. Let's sing it this morning. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.